most of the people don't notice the fog and the fog is the values, beliefs, the habits that we pick up from our parents, from our teachers, from our culture, many of which is really useful and helps us be a member of society, but some of it totally saps us of creativity and individuality. Hey everybody, welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. My name is Darius and the goal of our podcast is to help you live your own legacy by connecting you to people and concepts that have made a tremendous impact on the lives of others. Today's legacy guest is a best-selling author and the number one motivational speaker on self-leadership. For the past decade, this man has immersed himself to being the pioneers who spread the message of self-leadership, which is defined as intentionally influencing our thinking feeling, and behavior to achieve our objectives. He is a certified speaking professional who has inspired, informed, and ignited over 200,000 executives in 20 countries to take ownership of their self-leadership and company culture as well. As a past president of Asia Professional Speaker, he was also featured on TEDx and spoke to an audience as such as 12,000 people. Recently, he has been recognized by Singapore's president for his help on coaching self-leadership to UBS mentors, Cambridgean Teenagers, and Empowering Women in Singapore Management University. Introducing the man on the journey of really spreading the message of self-leadership, Andrew Bryan. Let's start from the beginning. How do you search out for this thing called self-leadership? I don't think I searched out for it. I think it found me. So uh, I thought I coined the term in around about 1999 when I was starting my speaking and coaching career in earnest. And I went to a speakers association meeting in Australia and, and I met somebody and we'd arranged to have a cup of coffee. And he said, you know, if you're going to speak, you really have a niche. What is it you speak about? And I said, well, you know, I, I talk about, you know, transforming people's mindsets and helping them be more effective and, and, and overcoming limitations and, and being the best version of themselves. And he said, what, you mean self-leadership? I said, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and he said, so why don't you say you speak about self-leadership? And I went, brilliant. And uh, so in 1999, I, I really thought I'd invented the term self-leadership. Turns out I didn't, uh, that there were some other people around that same time, or maybe a few years earlier, who'd started writing about self-leadership. But in, in, where, in Australia, where I was at the time, I was the only one that was using this term. Now in 2020, it's, it's a very common term. And you know, on the internet, you'll see a lot of people talking about self-leadership, but they've not necessarily researched and, and found a, a framework around it. So it's a, a, at the moment, it's still a reasonably loosely defined term, except in academia. Okay, so you mentioned tons of people who exhibit really great traits of basically self-leadership. So let's go on to um, defining of what self-leadership is. So who would you say would be a true embodiment of self-leadership? Well, it could be you, Darius. It could be a, it could be a single mom, you know, bringing her two children up. It could be a world leader. It's so easy to point to somebody in the media, but you really don't necessarily know what they're doing. What I love about self-leadership, it is the practice of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. So it's, it's on a daily basis. 
So that single mum could be J.K. Rowling as she'd come out of a difficult divorce, sitting in a flat in, in Glasgow with two young children, writing the first Harry Potter book on her kitchen table while looking after her children, and then being rejected, 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 and eventually getting the breakthrough. Um, so I'm sure there are elements of J.K. Rowling that is very self-leadership, but I'm sure J.K. Rowling has her meltdown days the same way we all do. You see, self-leadership is a practice. Um, it's a bit like motivation. The, the great Zig Ziglar said of motivation that it is like taking a shower. The effect is not permanent. And self-leadership isn't permanent. On each and every day, we all exhibit various levels of self-leadership. Right? And if you break self-leadership down to self-management, if you got out of bed, got a shower, got your breakfast, did what you needed to do, then you've exhibited a level of self-management. What takes self-management to the next level is if you did it with intentionality, with purpose, and you were learning and growing along the way, then that moves self-management to the level of self-leadership. Okay, so you and, thought about, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so you no, thought no, about, I was gonna say, I mean, you, I mean, I know you were looking for key people and I, I can, you know, whoever you pick, but particularly in a political sphere, somebody's gonna say the other way, right? You could say, you know, if you, if you pick, you know, former President Barack Obama, then you upset a bunch of Republicans who don't like him. If, if, you, if, you, if you pick Nelson Mandela as, as a, a self-leader, you've got to pick the right time in his life when he was a self-leader. Before he went and was incarcerated, probably wasn't a self-leader. He was an angry young man. But we know from uh, that he, he transformed in prison. Uh, we, we know that he was very fond of uh, the, the Henley poem, um, which ends, you know, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that is a very self-leadership poem right there. So we know he became a self-leader. So it depends which, which day and which month and which person that you pick but I don't want to elevate self-leadership to, oh, only political leaders or top athletes can have self-leadership. I think self-leadership you know, is really you and I, and, and everybody needs to exhibit that level of self-leadership. And so that's why I kind of peel back from you know, hero worship, because that is not self-leadership, right? So it, it, it's, a, it's a slightly different answer. You know, I, you know, I, I, I saw you wanted to ask that question and I, I didn't want to answer it the easy way, which is, oh, it's this person, it's this person, this was. You see, when, when Dr. Anna Kazan and I wrote the 2012 book on self-leadership, we looked at leadership traits and, and you know, in, in our, our research. And if you read about, oh, what makes a great leader? You know, well, they're a great listener and they build trust and they're visionary and they're empathetic and they're this. And it, the list now is so long that the list might as well include can walk on water, turn water into wine. And then anybody goes, well, I can't be a leader like that. I don't have all these traits. That's true. But I've been a coach for 20 years. I work with CEOs and they're all flawed. They all have their anxieties, their fears. You know, I'm a performance coach. I, you know, I've, I've met them on their worst days. And yes, mostly they exhibit self-leadership, but not on every day. And so I think there's hope for each and every one of us. That's, that's my answer to your question. Okay, so thanks so much for clarifying on like not 
there's not really a true embodiment of just self-leadership, but actually anyone can exhibit self-leadership. And I really like the point where you talk about uh, self-leadership is something that you practice. It becomes like a habit. Can I say that? Like a habit that you form over time. So what are some habits that really manifest self-leadership as a whole? It always starts with the self-awareness, right? And, and, and this is where philosophically we can get into very thorny ground, you know, who is the self that is observing the self, right? And, and is there even, you know, is there a constant self? And, you know, the, the mindfulness and the meditation guys will go, well, I'm, I'm just observing consciousness, right? But I think the, the key habit is to be aware, is to go, okay, what, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And ask the ultimate question, which is, is this useful? Is this serving me? Because in each and every day, we're running in a dialogue, we're running a narrative for our lives. And the key point about self-leadership is that we lead ourselves by choosing that inner narrative, right? Oh, you know, everything's so hard, every, you know, I, everything's so bad, I, I can't do anything, I don't have the money, I don't have the connections, I don't have the experience. Or you're running a narrative going, well, okay, this is a challenge. What can I do? Who can I reach out to? How can I solve this problem? The self-leadership narrative is the second of those two, not the first. So the awareness that, what am I thinking? What is my narrative? Is that useful? And, and the willingness to step back and adjust the narrative. And that becomes the intentionality to be the best version of yourself. Because surely the best version of yourself is not the person that is blaming and complaining, all right, is miserable, is feeling disempowered. The best version of yourself, the legacy that you will lead, is when you step into your power and say, okay, you know, I have the ability to learn, to take action, and if I do that, what, what do I want to achieve? And so it, the first habit is always self-awareness, because we are all triggered by the external environment, right? Something happens and it makes us happy or it makes us sad or it makes us angry or it makes us frustrated. And because it happens so quickly, it's so easy to say I'm, I'm happy or I'm, or I'm hungry or I'm, or I'm angry or I'm, I'm frustrated or I'm miserable. The self-leader says, okay, I'm noticing these sensations. Are they moving me towards my objectives? And, and being at choice point for the majority of the time, when, never all of the time, I, I write, speak, coach on self-leadership. I live, breathe, eat this. And yet, you know, I'm going to have my moments when I'm not practicing self-leadership and, and I have to catch myself and go, ah, step back into self-leadership. Okay, so I really like when you go on and talk about like, you know, self-awareness and really asking yourself the questions that are needed in order to um, understand what are the thoughts and what is the story that you're telling yourself in your head, right? So walk us through what kind of questions do you usually ask yourself in order to manifest uh, self-leadership at a greater level? That actually in itself is a great question. Um, I mean, if you ask yourself, what question should I be asking myself? That we would call that a meta question, a question about a question. So, um, I mean, the, the big question really is, am I being the best version of myself? Right? So at each and any time, each of us has a moment where we are the best version of ourselves. We've had those moments where we were, 
we were strategic in our thinking, but detailed enough to take action. You know, we were confident in ourselves, but empathetic and caring about others. You know, we all had those moments, right? Um, in sport, it would be called being in the zone. The psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi talked about being in flow, right? So we've had those moments. And, and they, they're fleeting, they come and they go. But the self-leadership question is, you know, the moment we ask, am I the best version of myself? You kind of do this scan and go, well, I'm a bit angry, or I, I, I said I was going to go and exercise and I didn't, so I'm out of contract with myself, or I was a little bit short with the, the lady at the checkout desk, and maybe that wasn't the best version of myself, right? Maybe I could have been kinder. Maybe I could have listened to my child better or to my employee. And so asking that big question then chunks down to the individual questions. If am I being the best version of myself and I wasn't empathetic to somebody else, how could I be more empathetic? If my, am I my best version of myself, am I being as strategic, as far thinking as I should be? No. Okay. So what do I need to do to be more strategic? So the questions will all cascade from that big question. Am I being the best version of myself right now? Okay, so I'm going to ask you this one question, which I think is, will be a common difficulty for almost everyone. So basically, you talk about you know, asking yourself that question and then chunking down that question after you know what's a big question. So let's say um, I want to change uh, something that uh, that's a bad habit of mine. And previously, when I used to run camps and it was like hundreds of people in the camp, and when I'm under stress, I start to get, I start to like order people around, right? Like a mini Hitler. That's what they called me last time. So I, I do catch myself um, you know, dictating in a sense like, okay, you got to do this, you got to do this, right? And um, I do catch myself um, often, but you know, when at the end of the day, right, ref I reflect on it and I say, hey, I got to change this and then I proactively write out, how do I change it, right? Um, I do this in order, let's say, when I go into this state, I'm going to do this to get myself out of the state. So at the same time, it kind of happens um, again and again and repeats sometimes, even though I know that I need to go into this state, but it's hard for me to shift into that uh, other state, right? So what do you think um, can really help um, people like me who basically, when they, when they know that they need to change in that moment, but they can't really, like you already know in your mind you got to change, but you can't proactively push yourself to that side. Well, firstly, um, kudos, you know, credit to you for recognizing that that was not the best version of yourself. So that ticks the first box. You wrote down the ideal action and that, that often works. You know, the very act of recognizing what that better action is, sometimes, you know, that just in and itself percolates into your unconscious and more often than not, you choose that option rather than another one. It's like setting a goal. Right, you set a goal at the beginning of the year, write it down, throw it in a drawer, and two years later you, you open that up and go, oh, actually I achieved that goal. I forgot that I'd written it as a goal. So sometimes that works, but in your case you're saying, no, I keep defaulting back to the old behavior. So then we have to ask a different question. What is the old behavior? All right, what is this behavior of being a little Hitler, as you say? What does that do for me? Right? You know, so if I'm going there, what is the benefit of that? Right? What is that? Because we all do things because we perceive a benefit. What's important to you about being the little Hitler? Oh, that's a really, really great question. Right? Also, okay, that's a great question uh, to really trigger my thoughts. I guess the benefit is that 
I get things done immediately, but it might not be the best approach in terms of managing people. Sure. But the point being is that, you know, you, you notice that there's a hierarchy of values there. The value is getting things done trumps being nice to people. So at the time that you get stressed, you know, you have a behavioral choice, be a little Hitler because it gets things done, right? So at some level, your brain is making the choice. I need to get things done. I know this works. So then the issue is the reason you didn't make the change is because the behaviors that you wrote out that were different didn't meet that need. So the behavior that you choose didn't meet that inner need. I got to get things done. So when you say, hey, I got to get things done, what are my options and choices for getting things done? I can do the little Hitler thing and I will get that, but there's going to be a ramification. I'm going to upset a bunch of people and it might get undone. Is there an alternative way of achieving the same objective with a different behavior? Well, I mean, if the objective is to get people on, um, get people doing what they got to do, then probably if we can create a system where once uh, something goes wrong and then people just got to continue following the system, right? That's a, that's a, that's okay. So that's a very systems way, orientated way. See, the interesting thing about this is that you've missed the point that you are considering your own self-leadership in this conversation, but what about the self-leadership of the people that are not doing the thing that you want to get done, right? So the key of self-leadership, self-leadership is not in itself selfish. In fact, the objective of self-leadership is to empower others with self-leadership. So the reality is, what led to the fact that it was a crisis that you needed to go into little Hitler mode was because people, other people had not taken ownership, responsibility, or accountability prior. Now you have to be overly responsible for them or overly accountable for them. So you, where you failed in this, and failed is such a strong word, but where you had not been successful in this particular case is that they hadn't taken the same responsibility ownership that you had. They hadn't applied self-leadership. So therefore you went into little Hitler mode. Okay. My mind is quite blown by what you just said. Like yeah. I said. Yeah. Well, so if you don't want to go into little Hitler, you've got to pass the ownership and responsibility and it has to be done before the crisis. The reality is when a crisis happens, right? So if you're at 35, 40,000 feet in an airplane, right? The oxygen masks do fall from the ceiling. Smoke starts to swirl around your ankles. If the captain comes out of the cockpit and says, ladies and gentlemen, got a bit of a problem. I'd like to create some focus groups and get your buy-in in terms of how I should handle this. You would panic, right? At that point, even the atheists would be getting religion, right? Instead, if it's a crisis, you expect the captain to take control. He's not going to enter into discussion with you. He's going to do what needs to be done. However, what the steward and stewardesses do is that they are training you. Should there be an emergency, they have, they have primed you that you're going to follow the instructions because it will be important. You are going to put on your life vests. You are going to leave your laptops behind. You are going to take your shoes off and you are going to follow the exit signs and go down the slide. So they've prepared you. Now where leaders fail is that they don't prepare people to take the ownership prior to the crisis, right? This is your life. This is, and in your case, it will be, this is your camp. This is your learning experience. This is your time. You know, you have a choice. You can 
you know, behave a certain way and contribute and get the best out of it. Or you can slack off, in which case a whole bunch of other things won't happen. You need to take ownership of those consequences. I can guide and facilitate. I will jump in if there's an emergency. But if it's because you didn't take ownership, not my bag. Oh, that's really very interesting. So let me just break down for the audience what just happened as well. Well, you okay, just got so, you just you just got some coaching is what just happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> although I don't really have that uh that problem already because I just keep asking like what you said just now. Uh, when it comes to really asking yourself and we keep asking yourself, asking yourself unconsciously, uh, your brain starts to pick up that behavior. Right, then it gets better over time. I'm just looking for an even faster way, and I realize it's because um. So when it comes to really changing your behavior, right, for the audience, if you have set out to really want to change something, let's say you want to start um, losing weight, right, but you, you end up just eating potato chips on your couch. So I guess what's really important is to really understand if whatever you're doing is actually meeting uh, the objective that you have already created in your mind. In the sense that my action did not uh, meet the need, my new action did not meet the need that I wanted. Right. So that's really very interesting. I mean, I would like to dive deeper into the whole no, thing. I, give you, I get, you know, you know, I mean, eating the bag of chips means that you, you know, we have as human beings, we have multiple needs, wants and desires. Right. And so losing weight, we want to lose weight because we want to feel good about ourselves and we want other people to appreciate the way we look. But we have more immediate needs that we want to chill out and we want to enjoy and we want to have immediate pleasures. Right. So, to, you know, to have a svelte body requires delayed gratification. We have to shift our, you know, our willingness. Changing a behavior fails when we don't meet the underlying need. One of the big issues with um, giving up smoking in the workplace used to be that the best place to network and get information was with the other smokers outside the back door. And so it was less about the nicotine and the smoking. It was more about being plugged into the network. The moment you stop smoking, you didn't get invited to that meeting. And, and that would cost you in career prospects. So for you to give up smoking, you had to find another way of staying plugged into that network. That's really interesting from whatever they just said. So it's really knowing what is the underlying need. So let's just dive in more towards, um, since we're talking about self-awareness so much right now, let's talk about, um, in your book, you talk about how most people are living in a cloud fog, and that's mostly generated by our upbringing from our parents, right? And hence it's stopping ourselves from self-leadership. So do explain to us how this happens for the people who haven't read your book yet. Okay, well, there's a couple of books. And uh, um, so you're referring to The Fog, which actually is from my 2012 book. And that metaphor actually came from my co-author, Dr. Anna Kazan, who actually you know, grew up with um, dyslexia. You know, she became a university professor, but she started, you know, she had dyslexia and, 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 you know, and also she found that it was difficult for her to focus. So you know, the, the requirement for her to develop self-leadership was, was huge. And the ability to focus and to get things done for her was an extra hard struggle. And it's an interesting thing I've noticed um, being around the, the speaking world that we teach best to that which we found hardest to learn, right? So an example would be, you know, somebody who finds time management really easy will make a terrible time management trainer because they don't struggle with it, so they think it's easy, right? It's like your math teacher at school. If your math teacher finds math easy, they don't make a really good math teacher because they don't understand why you don't get it, right? 
So, so Anna really struggled with focus and she had to learn how to focus. So when she's talking about, you know, having clarity, which is getting through the fog, she had to work really hard. She noticed the fog. Most of the people don't notice the fog and the fog is the values, beliefs, the habits that we pick up from our parents, from our teachers, from our culture, many of which is really useful and helps us be a member of society. But some of it totally saps us of creativity and individuality. And, and it's only sometimes when something cathartic happens, like travel or, you know, something happens dramatic in your life, do you suddenly wake up and go, there's a different way to see the world right? We all assume that we're sharing one reality of this planet, right? But each of us sees the world, perceives the world slightly differently, right? And, and waking up to say, well, this is the way, you know, this is the program I came pre-installed with, my OEM software. Do I want to do an upgrade? Do I want to delete some programs, add some programs, and choose my own operating system, right? It's like customizing a computer, right? So I think you go, you're good about to dive into like knowing what your strengths and weaknesses and that's probably where people start off when it comes to self-awareness as well on a very basic level. And just now we talk about core values and beliefs, right? So I want to dive in more into this whole thing of core values. Walk us through how core values actually have a big part to play in our lives or in everything that we do when it comes to self-leadership. Okay. So firstly, the words values and beliefs and identity you know, schema, paradigm, people use them interchangeably. I think the important thing to do is to look at, we start with an idea. And when we, we think an idea is a good idea, we value that idea, right? And, and when we, we've stopped valuing it and it's become very much part of us, it becomes a belief, right? Now, let me give you a sim very simple answer. My mother, when she was alive and I was a child, would say to me, Andrew, you have to eat all the food on your plate. And I think that would resonate a lot here in Asia. I'm sure lots of Chinese parents said you have to eat all the food on your plate. Now, where does that come from? The original idea was from famine. My mother grew up during the Second World War during rationing, all right? You know, people of Chinese heritage can, you know, have a sort of generational memory of, of starving. The, the greeting here in Singapore is Jababwe, you know, have you had your breakfast, right? And the principle being, if you've eaten, everything else is going to be okay. So the original idea is, you know, food is good. Having a, a, a full belly is a good idea, right? So that's the initial value. And then, you know, that value becomes a belief. Well, if you are wasting food, then that is disingenuous. That is, is rude. So therefore, you have to eat all the food on your plate, right? So what starts off as an idea gets validated, right? Where does the value come from? It's an idea that has been validated. So the idea to eat all the food on my plate came from my mother, was validated, it was, it was acknowledged, it was reinforced time and time again. So it almost became a belief that is the only way you can behave, right? Then I moved countries, right? I moved from England to Australia, and I moved from Australia to Singapore, and, and I spent a lot of time also in Malaysia. And every time I'm eating a plate with my Asian hosts, I finish my plate, and what do they do? They put more food on my plate. So I am programmed by a value and a belief that I have to empty the plate. So I empty the plate. Now, there's another value and core belief, which is the Asian hospitality value, that if we, we, we need to feed our guest, and if our guest finishes their plate, we need to refill it. Now, now we have this incredible, you know, this clash of values or reinforcing loop, and all that happens is I just get fatter and fatter and fatter, right? 
So the value That's is no longer, yeah, so the value is no longer working, right? So we have to examine, is that the idea that you have to eat all, your, all the food on your plate? Is that idea, you know, if we pare it down to the core idea, is that always relevant? No, it's not. You know, I might be better off, firstly, not to put too much food on my plate to start with. Secondly, is it not better to leave a bit of food than I have to spend an extra hour at the gym, right? So it's a, it becomes a trade-off. So most of our values we pick up from our parents and our school and our culture, and they go in and we don't examine them. When I had to examine that value and belief around eat all the food on my plate was when it's not working for me right? I'm getting fatter and fatter and fatter and I'm struggling. I'm going, I have to examine, is this the best value for me? And most people don't do the work around values because it's, it's at the back of your head. You don't really know what the value is. Now, I already know from chatting to you that you value getting things done. You're an executor. You like to do things. I know that because you, when you told me this was the behavior you struggled with, the behavior was driven by the value. So I know this is, you know, in chatting to you, we've never physically met. And in 20 minutes, I now know that that's a big value for you. Now, I can use that to build rapport, to connect with you, or I could use it to influence you if I so wished. <laughs> I'm quite lost for words right now, but I think you really uh, dealt with the whole thing about this whole thing about core values and how you actually influence every single action in our life. And I totally um, agree with you. So now that we have talked about values, right, let's go on to beliefs then, right? And you talk about how we can change our core values as well, right? So walk us through how does one change the core values and then change their beliefs, right? If they realize that it's something that is not very useful for them. Okay. So remember, don't trip over the word. Values and beliefs could be interchangeable. And earlier, I mentioned the concept of narrative, right? So a value and a belief, a belief could say, you know, I, I believe the sun will come up tomorrow. Well, that's a data point that's been reinforced, right? And I believe the sun will come up tomorrow. But, you know, beliefs can become whole narratives in your mind, right? And, and they can be quite illogical, right? Uh, you know, right now, we have people saying, uh, my core belief is freedom. And if you tell me I have to wear a mask, you are contravening my value of freedom, right? And now, this is, this is, you know, we live in interesting times. And then, and then people then examine that and they say, well, you know, uh, I believe that I shouldn't wear a mask because I'm breathing back my own carbon dioxide. And therefore, you know, I might get hypoxia and, and therefore it's dangerous. So you can't make me wear a mask. Now, where does, the, where, where does the belief change? Well, the problem with the belief is it will prevent new data being re received because the data would be surgeons, right? Um, nurses, you know, operate for eight, 10, 12 hour shifts wearing a surgical mask and they don't suffer with hypoxia. The last person you want to have hypoxia having bad decisions is a guy with a scalpel in his hand over your body, right? Now, there is, you know, with an uh, N95 mask, there is some rebreathing, right? So the issue is there's data, there's information, and then there's our inner world. Now, with self-leadership, we, we aim to have a healthy relationship with our inner and outer world. We recognize feedback that we constantly challenge our belief systems, our values with the outside world. 
we recognize confirmation bias that you know we're going to filter the world to agree with us but if that's not working for us then it's it's fun to argue against your own position when i'm coaching senior leaders ceos you know in terms of developing their critical thinking their decisiveness i will get them to argue like a debate team against their own idea right and and i tell them that you have to win and with ceos they love to win right they generally all right and so you've got to argue the opposite point and what that does is it teaches you a level of mental flexibility it teaches you the sense that we are living in a structure all right and and you know the the parallel to the 1995 movie the matrix is so strong we're living into a structure of our own design right that we see the world through a whole bunch of filters but if it doesn't work then we have to open our mind to examine what's working what's not and that takes a lot of energy it's hard to do by yourself it's good to do with a coach or a friend or a group and to look at you know the key question is you know are we living and we're back to the first question are we living the best possible self and if what you're believing is not supporting that, when you recognize that it's not a reality, it is just a belief. That's the point of change. But a lot of people won't get there because they won't argue against their own paradigm. They'll say, you know, you have to wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask. Okay, so walk us through like how exactly do you start debating with yourself? So let's say if I would do it with a friend or someone else would, or your audience would do it with a friend, how, how, how is it going to... How is the well, process going to be? Well, well, I mean, you can do this very, you can write it down, you could speak it out. The point is, right, take an argument that you're on one side of, right? So, you know, looking at the world right now, most countries have chosen to do some version of circuit breaker and lockdown. Sweden decided not to, right? So argue for Sweden, argue against Sweden, right? Argue for the mask, argue against the mask argue for saving money, argue for spending all your money, right? Now, what you'll find is that there's ideas and concepts on either side, and then you get to choose things based on what's useful, what's practical, as opposed to what you believe. Look, I was very fortunate that when I grew up in England, I was forced to read the Guardian and the Telegraph newspapers, right? Okay. One was left-wing, The Guardian, one, one was more right-wing, The Telegraph. And, and you read the same story and you see that there's a, a spin. And most people, particularly today, you know, in an age of social media, are not aware of how much they're being manipulated. And, and this you know, concept of self-leadership is living your best possible life. Now, there are people who are going to want to live you to live their best possible life. They want you to buy their products and sign up for their programs and, and work in their factories and, and behave in certain ways. Now, some of that is always a trade-off. I, 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 I've lived in Singapore for 16 years. Love Singapore, but I understand I give up certain freedoms for the security, but I do it intentionally because I wasn't born here. I choose to be here. Right? And so it's the choice point. Okay, so now, now that you've gone into this whole thing about choosing and basically making your decisions by yourself, and I love how you said that you know, in your book of self-leadership, you say that good 
decisions come from making choices first. I cannot agree any more than that. So what kind of framework can help us in making better choices then? Okay, so firstly, you have to recognize that a choice or a decision needs to be made. Right? So often we don't realize we have a choice. You know, we're, we're going along like sheep, but we go, hang on, I've got a choice here. Right? And, and then the second is to take that ownership and responsibility. It's my choice. I need to make that choice. Right? I can't blame somebody else or, or delegate that. I have to make the choice for myself. What am I going to do? Right? So, you know, for instance, you know, as a, as a teenager, you know, your parents are guiding you towards a career and a university. You hang on a moment. This is the rest of my life here. I need to choose what university course I want. So step one, using that as a concrete example, right? So is this my choice or is it my parents' choice? Well, I said, well, my parents are gonna fund me. Oh, well then it's their choice. Eh, yeah, no, that's, that's not necessarily the case. You could get funded elsewhere, but anyway. So firstly, it's, there's a choice, take ownership of the choice. Then what you've got to do is look at what the variations of your options are. How many options are you? Most people only look at two options, you know, stay or go, yes or no. No, there's usually seven, eight, nine, ten. So the good job is to brainstorm all of the options. Then check your unconscious bias, right? You're either overconfident in making the decision or you've got confirmation that it's agreeing with your existing mindset. As you've checked your unconscious bias, you evaluate each of those decisions. You work out which is the best one. You make the decision and then you constantly monitor the decision with feedback to see if it was the best decision because we should evaluate a decision not on the results but how well we made the decision at the time even a good decision over time might turn out with less than optimal results and sometimes a bad decision with a dose of luck can actually end up with great results so constantly evaluating i made the right decision today with the information i had in three months time, I might have different information, circumstances change, and I might need to make a new decision. That's the process. Well, that's very interesting. I like to dive more into this whole thing when you just said unconscious biasness, right? How does one keep in check that they have this thing of unconscious biasness? Well, so firstly, when you get that warm feeling that everything agrees with you, that actually should be a warning sign, right? So, you know, back to the, the people with the masks and the not masks, right? The people who say, I don't have to mask, they have a mask, read a Facebook post about not wearing masks and they get that warm feeling because it agrees with them, right? So whenever we read or see or hear something that agrees with us, we need to train ourselves to go, you know, really, I need to do a quick check it because this feels too good, right? You know when you've ever been walked into a shop and, and the salesperson is, is paying you too many compliments. They don't know you and they're saying all these things and you go, Hang on a moment, there's a red, you know, they're trying to sell me something here. So anytime you hear something that clearly agrees with you, then you actually go, hang on, am I being sold? Right? I think that's a very good, uh, whatever you just mentioned was, I think it's super relevant to why it is nowadays because with social media feeding us with all this information, I think we stop, a lot of us stop questioning what is being fed to us and what we actually should be doing is actually questioning what exactly, what information are we getting, right? Like, uh, most of the things when it comes to health and like the food that we eat is all by marketing companies, right? So now that we've uh, gone through with that, um, choices and decisions, I want to touch on this last thing called communication because I know communication is super important when it comes to self-leadership. So in the essence of self-leadership, what do you think are the current biggest mistakes made in communications nowadays? 
well, I mean, the, the self-leader is going to be clearly much more intentional about what they want to share. When it comes to communication, I always remind myself that the root of the word communication is communio, which is the, the root to means to share. So when communication has occurred, there's a sharing of meaning and understanding. If I'm just transmitting, but people aren't receiving my message, then I haven't communicated. So communication occurs when there's that feedback loop and we both come to a level of agreement about what the understanding is. So uh, I find, you know, I have, a, I'm quite quick in my thinking, I'm quite articulate. So it's very quick for me, you know, I can, I can broadcast very quickly. But if I broadcast, but that has not been understood, I haven't communicated. And then that's gonna cost me time and energy to clarify and to move forwards. So I think the, you know, the important thing with communication is to, is to really start with a positive intent that you wanna create shared meaning and understanding and that it is an iterative process that in fact, in the process of communicating, you might even change your mind, right? You might, you think you go out to send a message, but if you truly communicate, you might go, you know what? That's a better idea. And, and, and you've, you've, you've truly listened then. You say, so you work from the process of hypothesis, right? You know, when you do science, you know, you, you build a hypothesis. It's not yet proved, right? So it hasn't quite made it to a theory. And so you go, and I, I like framing things to say, look, you know, based on my current understanding, here's what I think. You know, tell me, you know, let, let me hear your perspective. So floating an idea rather than saying, this is what we're doing, right? Now that requires time and it requires this not to be in a crisis. Remember I talked about the airline pilot in the crisis, he can't or she can't do that, they have to act. But when we're not in that crisis point, communication, that constant consideration, what's, what's your viewpoint, what's the input, listening for that, and, and coming together with a shared meaning and understanding, that for me is true communication. I totally love how you talk about uh, how communication is just not one-sided and it's actually the combination of both actually understanding what each other are talking about. So talking about this whole thing of meaning, right, in, com uh, in communication, how does one, like I know there are some people who aren't um, able, like one of my friends, I know he's not, it's not easy for him, to communicate across what he's actually thinking. So for people who aren't very articulate with their words, right? how do they um, increase the chances of the other party understanding what he's saying from the get-go? Well, firstly, if the individual's not clear what they want to say, the intentionality is what I want to say, or here's what I want to talk about. The best bridge for communication is some level of metaphor or story, right? Is to create a shared meaning. And in our conversation today, I've used the aeroplane as an analogy, uh, as a metaphor. I've used the, 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 the use of mask or not mask. As, as, so giving somebody a, a, a sand pit to play in and go, well, here's a construct. So often when you are watching two people having an argument and you're not involved, you can see they're both talking about different things. And if you're not involved, it's hilarious because you go, if only they could hear each other. The problem is the moment we get engaged in an argument, ego gets connected, and we're trying to win, we can't hear anything coming back the other way. 
Now, I'm as guilty as the next person in this. The trick is having written and heard about this time and time again, you know, when I see that I'm not going anywhere, I take a step back and go, okay, you know, what, 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 what are the needs here? What do I need? What do they need? Right? What do I believe? What do they believe? Where's the, where's the point of connection? So for me, um, you know, I recognize when I'm not making progress, right? And I recognize when I'm not being the, my best possible self, all right? And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm 10 minutes into it before that. Sometimes I'm an hour into it and I realize that that's a bit too long. But then you, you take a step back and you go, well, let's reboot. Take a breath. Okay. Let me understand what it is that you, you, you know, you're trying to say. And, and the moment you flip it to listening rather than talking, you get to see the lay of the land and you go, okay, I see where I went wrong. I see where I didn't communicate. I see where you got the wrong end of the, you know, my stick, my bad. And I realized, well, I didn't understand what was coming from you. Okay. So, you go ahead. Okay, so, so I just want to touch on that point just now because I want to catch that thought real quickly um, when you said that, you know, uh, sometimes it takes you five minutes, sometimes it takes you one hour, and I think that that's what everyone experienced. So how can people actually set up triggers uh, which basically gets them in check of themselves? Like let's say if I'm about to go very angry, and then for the next hour or next few days, I continue to be angry, but I don't realize it until I go like, oh wait, I'm angry, right? Then you start cooling down. So what triggers can we set up to remind ourselves and get ourselves in check? I would love to say there was an easy way. And a lot of people will tell you that there are triggers for this. I honestly think it's experience. Um, you know, um, uh, I'm not particularly religious, but I did read the Bible. And in the Old Testament, you know, there is, there, there is the advice to never let the sun go down on your wrath. Right? So don't go to bed angry with somebody. And, and I hold that as a maxim. Right? You know, and, and for those of you who are in relationships, right? If you have a row with your partner, don't go, don't go sleep in separate rooms. You know, uh, go make yourself a cup, you know, let them, let them calm down and then go make yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and then go sit down and say, okay, so let's talk this through, right? Um, and, and whatever that is, whether it's, you know, two siblings, it's a parent and a child and vice versa, I think it's that recognition that this day is gonna end. And if we end this day out of communication or in anger, because you started this program talking about legacy and, and you know, the reason I agreed to come on is, in fact, I'm, I'm writing another book on legacy right now. I'm writing another book about legacy. And, and we don't get to repeat this day, do we? So if we do let the sun go down on our wrath. So for me, there's a, that age piece that I have realized that I can be right or I can be rich. And by rich, I mean, you know, wealthy in relationships and happiness and health. Because being right, right, oh, I'm right, I'm, you know, leads to justifiable anger. And you're right, but you've got no relationship. And you, at some point, you're going to have to apologize anyway. So the biggest trigger for me is recognizing the cost of the miscommunication. Right? And the other maxim for that is, you know, being angry at somebody is like drinking poison and hoping they will drop dead, right? It's just, it's, and so, you know, for me, it's the, yeah, for me, it's the wisdom of age that I've learned that it's not worth it. So whatever maxim you have to remind yourself, whether it's a wall poster, 
uh, you know, or, or just a habit is don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Is is you know miscommunication costs. In fact, Columbia University suggested that miscommunication doubles the cost of doing business. That's an interesting step. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how they came up to it, so don't push me on that. Um, but you know, I, I saw that statistic from Columbia University. It stuck in my head that, and, it, and it, you know, whether it's it's true or not, it's a, it's a, it, it feels right that miscommunication doubles the cost of doing business. Okay, really lovely whatever that you have mentioned. We talk about so much about values, going to needs, going to beliefs, talk about communication. So before I ask my last question, Andrew, where can the audience find you, connect to you and learn more from you? Well, I'm the self-leadership guy, so selfleadership.com is the place to go. Uh, the book that you read, I think, was this big red one, which is a textbook that ends up this one here is an Amazon bestseller, is a, is a handbook. And I've made that available as a PDF uh, plus seven coaching sessions with me, pre-recorded coaching sessions with me talking about the key themes in the book. And if you go to selfleadership.com forward slash SLA, so that's Singapore, London, America, selfleadership.com forward slash SLA, there's an offer there where you can get the download of the book and some coaching for basically the cost of my internet hosting, which is seven bucks, right? So. <laughs> okay, and let me ask you this last question, Andrew. What is the legacy that you want to live in this world? I want to leave the legacy of people recognizing that it is their life, their choice, and to wake people up to live lives that they are proud of, that they spend the majority of their life working towards being their best possible self because the knock-on effect of each of us being the best possible self reduces all of the other problems on this planet because if we think about all the problems on the planet they're all human created and if we were our best possible selves we wouldn't be creating those problems okay thanks for being on the podcast brian if you guys want to learn more about self-leadership and here's the thing whatever that we discussed today was just like a tiny bit of whatever he went through in his self-leadership book trust me it's packed with a ton of information and actionable strategies that you guys can take as well and so if you like this episode do make sure to subscribe rate and like this podcast till the next episode start living your legacy <laughs>